All right, guys. It is cold outside, but um, my heart is burning. I believe the Lord's heart is burning for this message. Um, would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We are in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to do verses 1 to 8 and then 14 to 17. Here we go. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. There shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you have a word burning on your heart. Would you hide me behind the cross? Would you help people to see Jesus, hear Jesus, and help me not be a distraction? Lord, you have placed a treasure in earthen vessels. Let the treasure be experienced here today in every heart and, Lord, us corporately. You are doing something in this day. Please, God, help us to not miss it. We ask together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is Led by His Presence. Point one, our need to let go of the past. Joshua gives this reason. This is why they need to keep the ark in front of them. Here's the reason. You've never been this way before. For 40 years, they've been the same way. They've been around the same mountain 39 years. They, they could do it in their sleep, but they're going in a different 
way now, and they're going to miss their way if they don't keep the ark of God. The ark of God is where the manifest presence, the manifest glory of God rested. They needed to keep the ark before them because you've never passed this way before. I want to read to you from Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. When you have been in the wilderness a long time, it is a lonely place, it is a difficult place, it is a hard place, but it's a place of survival. And you can check into this mode of not expecting anything new, not expecting any, I just, I'm just going through the motions. And God says this, don't dwell on the past or you're going to miss the new thing. The new thing will not be obvious. You're going to have to perceive it. You're going to have to enter into it. I'm doing something new. Do not make your identity in the wilderness. Don't make your identity in the wasteland. I'm doing something. I can make rivers break forth anywhere. And I'm doing something new. But I need you to let go of your past your past habits, your past experiences, the, your past, the way we used to do it, the way we've always done it. Stop it. Break out of that. Break out of that. God's doing something new. He has something new for you. He has no, something new for us. And we're not going to perceive what it is if we are stuck in our past. The people of the past. The whole book starts with these words. God speaking to Moses. And here's what he says. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Moses was the man. Moses, Moses was Joshua's hero. Moses, we can't do this without Moses. God says, listen, Moses is dead. It's time for you to rise up past Moses. Honor him, great. Don't idolize him. Guys, this is the pattern of our life. We lose somebody by death. We lose somebody because they moved away. We lose somebody because they were the pastor and now they're pastoring somewhere else. And somebody that was very significant in our spiritual growth came and went. And we feel we're stuck. We're stuck because they were so important to us. And God says, arise. I'm doing something new. Don't get stuck in the past. I had an experience when I was in Montevideo where uh, we, I was preaching. Well, let me tell you the story. There's a, there was a family in the church, loved this family, loved this couple. They were in leadership. She was a worship leader. He was an, a deacon. Um, just friends and really going for God together. And they came in for counseling for something. And um, they came in and said some stuff. And, and that, that same week, two other 
families had the same exact issue, and so that Sunday I talked about that issue. Well, they felt betrayed. They felt like I was taking their private stuff and I was putting it out there for everyone. And, and I, I, I immediately went to them and I said, I, I can see how it would feel like that, but please know that that was not at anything in my heart. And please forgive me. And they said, we forgive you, but we can't trust you anymore. We're leaving the church. And, and there, was, there was nothing I could do to keep them. I, I, I begged them to give me another chance to give us that. And, but it was over. It was just, it was just over. And, uh, but here's the problem. It wasn't over. I couldn't let go of it. I couldn't let go of my family. Why did I have to say that? Why did I have to say that so soon after meeting them? Why did I have to? Well, stupid. Why, why, why did I have to do that? And so I would spend this time with, with my failure that had them leaving, and then I would move over to their failure. How unjust. We have served them. We have walked with them. We've been their friends, and they can't forgive me of one little thing, and da 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 And so I'd go back and forth to, to my failure, to their failure, and, and I was just... I just couldn't get past it. I would, I would start working on something. You got to understand when you're in a small town and you're in a small church, one family leaving impacts everything. It just your whole. It, 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 and so I just I couldn't get past it. And then I had this encounter with the Lord. <laughs> I am I am reading. I'm in my one year Bible, and it is First Samuel sixteen, verse one. And God speaks to Samuel, and he says, How long are you going to grieve over Saul? Fill your horn with oil. I've got somebody I want you to anoint. And even though this is in Scripture, and God was speaking it to Samuel about Saul's failure, Saul was the one that he anointed, and Saul failed horribly, and and, and so, even though that was spoken in time, God took that scripture and he just spoke it to me. And he just said these words to me. How long, Tom? Is this your new life? Are you going to camp in your failure and in the failure of others? Because I got a whole, I got a whole bunch of other people I want you to anoint. And I want you to trust me with your failures And I want you to trust me with the failures of other people. Because right now, if if this is your new life, you're just going to camp here? Is this regret and sorrow and self-pity is the rest of your life? How long are you going to stay here? And and do 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 you hear the question? God doesn't set the time that you stay there. You do. How long? How long? Okay, I've grieved with you. I understand grief. I understand failure. I understand mourning. Uh, how long are we going to do this? Because i got a whole world that needs to be anointed. I want to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to go out and I've got people that I want you to touch. What about them? Trust me with them. Go anoint the people I want you to anoint. That's point one. Here's point two. Consecrate yourselves. Here's what he says. 
Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders in your midst. God has supernatural things that he wants to do in you, through you, and for you. And you need to consecrate yourself for what God wants to do. You are going to meet with God in a dynamic, life-transforming way, and you need to get yourself ready by consecrating yourself to him. Now, this is the pattern of Scripture. Genesis 35. God says to Jacob, I'm going to meet you at Bethel. I'm going to encounter you at Bethel. So Jacob gets to his whole family. He says, guys, put away your idols. Wash your clothes. Uh, Get ready. We are going to meet with God. Moses does the same thing. God says, I'm going to to appear on Sinai. I'm going to come. I'm going to bring the law. Um, Moses turns to the people. Consecrate yourselves, guys. We're going to meet with a holy God. Get yourself ready. Consecrate just means set yourself apart for God's purpose. God wants to encounter us with his presence and his glory. Consecrate yourself. Be ready for what God wants to do. So, it's February of 2019. And I have an encounter with the Lord where he speaks to me about going into the land. How did I know it was God? It was, certainly wasn't audible, but it was so clear but part of why I knew it was the Lord is because he's spoken it to me before. 25 years earlier, I was in Faustin, Minnesota, and God said, it's time to lead this people into revival. And in, 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 in America, there was an invitation. The Toronto Blessing had poured out. The Brownsville Revival in Pensacola had, had poured out. There was an invitation to God, to individuals, to churches, to, to enter in, to come into the full glory of what he wanted to pour out. And that time came, and the American church, and this is a whole other message, said no at that time. The, the outpouring of God's Spirit actually caused churches to divide, and there was pride on both sides, pride that that's, that's not God, God doesn't do it that way, and then pride for those that it, he was doing, that were exaggerating what God was doing, and this is amazing, and, and, and this is, and there was, just, there was just pride everywhere, and it divided the body of Christ. And so for 25 years, the American church has gone downhill. You do any statistical analysis of the church in the last 25 years, and it's it's bad, very bad. And God spoke and said in February of 2019, go into the land. And, uh, And he had my attention. There's something in Scripture... Um, called Kairos. Kairos is an opportunity, an opportune time, a, a, a time that God sets apart for a purpose, and he opens this window so that you can go through it. The problem with a Kairos is they, they come and they go, and you either, you either go th- take advantage of them and take that opportunity, or you miss an opportunity that God opened up. Um, here's Luke 19.44. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize 
the time, the word time there is kairos, of God's coming to you. There was a kairos over Israel for three years of Jesus' ministry. There was an opportunity to respond to the Messiah. There was an opportunity to come in to the salvation that God was pouring out. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he weeps. Right before those verses, it's Jesus weeping. Why? Because it was too late. The kairos had opened. And now it was shot, and now they were going to end up with judgment. Instead of all of the blessings God had for them, God wanted to pour out, they were going to end up with judgment. Did you know that Jesus weeps over us when we miss our Kairos times? Why? Because he's, he, he sees all the blessings that he had for us, all the opportunity, all the things that he was going to do, and we didn't recognize the time. Maybe we were dwelling on the past. Maybe we were dwelling on ourselves. Maybe, maybe we just didn't want to. We were apathetic, but we, we, we missed it. And, and, it, and it, it causes him to weep. Joshua certainly knew about Kairos. Joshua had experienced it 40 years earlier. They had been at the edge of that wilderness. There was a Kairos time. God said, go into the land. You can do this. I have given you this land. And they hemmed and they hawed and, and there was a whole group that was complaining we should go back to Egypt and long and the short, the Kairos opened and the Kairos shut. And some people didn't understand Kairos and they're like, hey, Moses, we are so sorry. We're going to go in now. And Moses is like, no, you, you don't understand Kairos. That op, that's gone now. You'll get beat up if you go in now. And then, of course, they didn't listen. They went in, got beat up. So February 2019, I'm all, I'm all ears. God, tell us what to do. I, I'm, we're going in this time. We have to go in. And it's not just this church. It's the church in America. We have to go in this time. We have to not turn back. We need to go into the full outpouring, the full purpose of God. God, just tell me what to do. And so we got the staff together. And here's what we did as our first response. We're going to set up these meetings called worshiping and waiting. And so we set these up. We run them once a month now. There's one coming up in a few weeks. And the, the idea is, we're just going to worship to, to get ourselves out of the middle, get our ideas out of the middle, and just get our focus on God, and then wait. And just wait. God, God what, do you, what do you want to do? The, the old paradigm is this. You tell God what you want him to do. God, we're going to do this. Bless us. God, we're going to do this. Bless us. That's the old paradigm. Here's the new paradigm. We don't tell God what to do. We ask God first what he wants to do. God, here is my life. I am an empty vessel. Here's all my dreams. They're all at the cross. What do you want to do, God? You tell me what you want to do, and then we'll pray it back to you, and we will join you. We will come into agreement with what you want to do. And so we did that. We did that as a start. We, we had these meetings. They're, they're, they're really good meetings. You should come to these meetings. They're really fun meetings. We're just in the presence of God, no agenda except to worship and listen. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Well, we, we were probably in our second or third meeting where the, 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 God made it very clear. Worshiping and waiting is not a meeting. What, I, what I'm asked for after is worshiping and waiting as a lifestyle. I, I want this to be your whole life. I, use these meetings as practice for real life. <laughs> 
that I want to be the center. I want, I want you to be a worshiper 24-7, Monday through Friday. And then I want you to have an attitude of living, waiting on my presence, waiting for my instruction and being ready to move. If I say move left, you move left. If I move right, move right. I'm like, we're in. We're in, God. So that was, wow, it's going on two years, isn't it? The Kairos, that time is still open. We've, we've taken steps to go in. <clears throat> I believe we're going to go in. I believe this church is going in. I believe the American church is going to rise up and go in. I really, I, I believe that with all of my heart. Monday night of the prayer and fasting week, we, the focus was, was revival in the church. And, and Greg was leading and did a great job. And we prayed for revival in the church and had some great people pray and worship. And, and it was about time for the end of the meeting. And I'm, I'm sitting over there getting ready to come up and do the final prayer. And, and here's, here's what bothers me about the word revival. What does that really mean? What, what is this mystical word? Pastor Tom's like, we're supposed to have a revival. The church supposed to have a revival. I'm supposed to be in revival. Revival, revival. What does it mean? And, I, and, and so I came up and I gave this illustration to help us grab a hold of what revival is. What, what do I mean when I say revival? And here's the picture. The human race is at a dance. But very few are dancing. Everybody's against the wall kind of embarrassed because they don't know how to dance and they don't want to be seen, made fun of. You know, in a junior high dance, the people that go out there get made fun of by the people on the wall. And, 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 and that, that what's going on is that Jesus is, is coming to us and asking us to dance. And revival is saying, Lord, I, I, will, I, will, I will dance with you. Revival is saying, I don't care if I'm scorned. I don't care if I'm mocked. I don't even care that I don't know how to dance. Because you're asking, I will dance with you. And this, why would this be unpopular? People don't mind a religious Jesus where you visit once a week on a Sunday morning within religious terms, but this idea of an emotional, devotional, affectionate Jesus where you, where you like are bubbling with love for him and talking about him and, and he's kind of got your heart, that makes people very uncomfortable. And Jesus is saying, will you dance with me? And you look to the side, and what are they going to think? And what are they going to think? And he's looking right at your eyes and saying, who cares? Come on, dance with me. Dance with me. And the beginning of revival is when you say, I don't care. I don't care what they say. I don't care who they are. I don't care what their opinion is. I don't care what mocking they're going to give. I, you were unashamed of me when you died on that cross. I am unashamed to dance with you. Come on, Lord. Let's, I'll dance with you. Now, there's a second stage to revival. Because here's what you're going to find out dancing with Jesus. He will let you lead. <laughs> he'll let you step on his toes. He'll let you trip and fall. He'll let you, he'll let you, he'll let you. And, 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 and again and again, you're going to say to yourself, I can't dance. I, I don't know how to dance. I know. And, and Jesus is like, well, why don't you let me lead? Huh. 
What would that look like? You know what Dancing with the Stars is? Actually, I've never even seen it, but the, the, the idea is this, is you take people that can't dance and you put them with somebody that's a professional dancer. And they work together, and it's amazing how these professionals can make regular people look good. Jesus, all we need to do is say, yes, I'll dance with you. He'll teach you how to dance. we we got to say yes to him, and then we need to get to the end of ourselves and say, Lord, you lead. You lead. I remember that Monday night as I was telling, we were closing the service, and I desperately wanted to tell this other story, but I couldn't because we were out of time, so I'm telling it today. So some of you have wondered what my favorite song, my favorite worship song is. No, that's not true. No one has wondered that. Uh, here's my favorite worship song right now. It's by John Thurlow. It's called Never Dying Love. That's my favorite worship song right now. But my favorite CD, the whole CD, it's been the same for probably the last 10, at least 10 years. I've listened to this CD probably 500 to 1,000 times. I've listened to it several times this week. It's by a guy named Evan Earwicker, and it's called, the title of the CD is Dance With Me. And I, the, the whole CD is just, it just takes you into intimacy. It just takes you into this place with God. But um, I remember in the very first version of the CD, he told how the CD came about. He had a vision. He's 19 years old, and he has this vision and Jesus is in royal garments, shining brightly, and he's in this ballroom. It's like a palace. It's absolutely gorgeous, and all the attendants are in white, and it's just beautiful, and there's music going, and there's, there's dancing, and it's just amazing. And he says that he sees Jesus walk out of the ballroom, and he walks through neighborhoods, that are getting progressively worse, progressively more dirty, pro- pro- progressively just more destroyed and, and barren, and he finally gets to a place that could only be described as the slums, when there's someone on the side of the road, face down in the mud, and he sees Jesus go to this guy, and he turns him over, and he's shocked because it's his face, it's him. And Jesus reaches out his hand and says, dance with me. And the words to the first song in the CD started coming. This is the gospel. Do you know what the difference, Francis Chan says this, do you know what the difference between God and man is? Here's the difference. God does not need us. He's absolutely self-sufficient, filled with joy in himself. But he wants us. And man desperately needs God, but doesn't want God. God doesn't need us, but wants us. We need God, but don't want him. So what God does while he's enjoying heaven, he leaves the ballroom 
And he steps down to this planet. And he takes on flesh. And he comes to us in the middle of our mud, in the middle of our dirt, in the middle of where our own decisions, our own choices have taken us to. And he turns us over and he looks in our eyes and we expect to see judgment in his eyes. We expect to see scolding. We expect, and these, these eyes of fiery love. He's not there to talk about our sin. He's not there to remind us of how bad we've been or how muddy we are. He's saying, dance with me. Take my hand. I will pull you out of that mud and I will teach you how to live with God, how to live in union with God. This is what Jesus died for. This is what the gospel is. That's point two. Point three, the power of his presence. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God is going to do wonders. He's going to do supernatural things in your midst. And so here's what he says to the priests. I want you to take the ark of God and I want you to step into the the shallows of the Jordan. The the Jordan at this time is in fall. It's flooding stage. It is impossible to cross the Jordan. And I want you to go and I want you to just stand still in the water with my ark. And something supernatural happens. Way up the river, at a, at a city named Adam, the waters stop. And they just stand there until the, the ground becomes dry. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a miracle. Just like, just like the Red Sea parting. It's a miracle. And all Israel passes through. And the priests just stand there. The power of the presence of God to stop the river at Adam. Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To understand the gospel, to understand sin, You need to understand the problem is way, way bigger than us doing sins. There's something called sin that we have inherited from Adam. You can read all about it in Romans chapter 5. But this Adamic nature in us, it's the natural man, the carnal nature, it's called the flesh. It has replaced God on the throne. It is established itself as in charge, and it wants nothing to do with God. It will do. It will add a little religion because it's culturally sensitive and it looks good, but it doesn't really want God. This is the Adamic nature. This is in the center of every human being born on this earth. 
The only thing that can stop this Adamic nature is the, is the presence of God. You and I, when we are born again, we are a kingdom of priests. We are the very carriers of the presence of God. And when you and I are filled with the presence of God, we will, we will not carry out the, the desires of the flesh. Now, some people are confused because I thought that the, the desires of the flesh would just go away. I thought I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. Sorry. Sorry, until Jesus comes, he didn't take out the old nature. He just put in a new nature. But you can always reassert the old Adam. The very next verses say that there's a war going on in every single human being between, that's saved between the flesh and the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, the power of the spirit is that it will stop Adam. It will stop that river coming down. The Bible says the river, it, it multiplies over generations. God said sin will visit four generations. That means you're not just dealing with your sinful tendencies. You're dealing with your fathers, your mothers, grandfather, great-grandfather, all of that. The river just gets stronger and stronger. Whatever weakness was there, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and nothing can stop it except the presence of God, yes. except the ark of God. So, there's something very similar to this story where the priest's job is to go into the Jordan and stand still. They're not building a dam. They're not trying to figure out how they're going to stop this river and build a bridge to get over. No, the, the answer is supernatural. All they can do is obey. Go there and stand still and just wait. God's going to do the miraculous. God's going to do the wonders in your midst. So there, there's a story very similar to this. It's, it's in 2 Chronicles 20. And it's Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the king. And three armies attack Israel all at the same time. If one army attacks, you call your general and say, we need to, we need to attack. We, there's somebody coming. We need to face them. If two armies come, you call not just your general, you call your neighbor and say, hey, we need help. We're, we're getting attacked. When three armies attack, you declare a day of fasting and prayer. Because if God doesn't do something supernatural, we are, we're, we're toast. It's over. So he calls this day of fasting and prayer. And God speaks. And it's very interesting what he says. He says, he says, you're not going to fight in this battle. This battle is the Lord's. You need to stand still and see the salvation of God. You need to start by recognizing what you need to happen, you can't do. You need to stop your activity, stop your planning, stop your worrying, and stand still in my salvation. Then he says, tomorrow, go out and face your enemies. So, the, the prophetic week in January, on, on that Thursday night, we get all these words together, and we got a couple words that night, and, and more later, people kept sending words to me of this verse in Second Chronicles 20 about Jehoshaphat. And it's 20, 21. 
This is the verse for 2021. And it's the strategy that they make. Here's the, here's the strategy. Let's put the worshipers out front. Because this is, because we have to have a miracle. We're not putting the warriors out front. We're going to put the worshipers out front. In the Bible, it's, a, it's just an incredible story. The very next verse says that as they began to sing, the Lord, the Lord ambushed all the darkness that was holding them. They never fought in the battle. It took three days to pick up the plunder. God won the battle for them. Their part, stand still, rest in my salvation, face your problems, but put the worshipers up front. And the word for 2021 is to put the worshipers up front. This is about God's presence, guys. You are called to carry his presence. Worship, we put the worshipers out front. This is very, very important. Worship does not earn you God's presence. That's the wrong formula. Worship is entering God's presence. Jesus has already earned it. Jesus died on the cross so that we could enter his presence. We put the worshipers out front to enter his presence. This is the way you will win in your Christianity. Now, many, I'm going to tell you why most, in American, most American Christians are losing the battle of Christianity. Many people have their warriors out front. What's the warriors? That's your will. My willpower. Man, I, I serve the devil with all my might. Now I'm going to serve God with all my might. I can do this, Lord. Let me at him, Lord. I will do it. I'll read my Bible. I'll go to church. I'll be disciplined. I will do this for God. And if the stronger willed you are, the better it looks. But you're not going to win. You're not going to ever do real Christianity that way. There's nobody with a stronger will than Peter. Peter's like, these guys will probably all fall away. I will die for you. And Jesus is like, Peter, you have absolutely no idea. You're going to deny me three times before the cock cross. This is a different kind of battle than your little willpower battles. There's bigger forces that you don't even understand, Peter. Well, Pastor Tom, I, you know, I, 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 listen, I'm not saying you can't appear to be a Christian with your will. You can clean up the outside of the cup. You can go to church. You can be a deacon. You can sing the songs. You can even raise your hand if you want to once in a while. But real Christianity isn't the outside. It's you actually enjoying what you're doing. <laughs> See, you could do righteousness with your will, but you can't love righteousness with your will. It takes the grace of God to love righteousness. What happens when you're with your will is you'll be a Christian in little spurts, little compartments. We're going to church. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then I've got to sin for a while. I've got to go back to what I love. And then I'm going to do... See, this is, the dance is 24-7. And it's a delight. And you can't do that apart from the grace of God. That's why you don't put your will out front. You put your worshipers out front. And many in America are putting their mind out front. If I can just control my thoughts, if I can think the right thoughts and don't think the wrong thoughts, and, my, and I get the right theology, and I'm going to study, 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 because I'm going to know the truth in every area. Listen, they didn't put their advisors out front. They weren't going to win by having a better strategy. They needed a miracle from heaven. They needed God. 
And I'm not saying don't use your will or don't use your mind. I love to think. I love to. But listen, you got to put your worshipers up front. What we need is the very presence of God. Pastor Tom, I'm not a worshiper. I'm not, you know, that's not my thing. I, I worship by reading the Bible. I worship by f- feeding people at the food pantry. I don't really like worship. I'm not a good singer. And I'm a, some, sometimes it's just, I'm a guy. I, you know, I don't really, that's kind of, that's the, what the girls do. And I, I, you know, listen, stop saying that to yourself. Stop it. You, can, you need the worshipers to go up front. doesn't matter whether you can sing or not. You, you can start by saying, Lord, I don't know how to dance. That's fine. It's fine to say, I'm not a worshiper, Lord, but I'm willing to be one. Trust me on this. We've got to get the worshipers up front. We've got to put worship up front. Worship takes us off the throne, and it puts God in his place. His presence will fill our worship. Ask him to give you a song, give you a place to start. This is how the revival's coming, guys. We're going to put the worshipers out front. And the American church that right now is a mockery, the American church, people don't even know if the church will be around because it's going the way of Europe, Western Europe. Western Europe is filled with beautiful churches with no one in them. Consecrate yourself. Because tomorrow, the Lord's going to do wonders in our midst. You get ready for what God's going to do. Because God can stop Adam. God can stop all of that natural flow and get us in a new direction. And in that presence, guys, everything's there. Miracles are there. Salvations are there. Deliverances are there. Freedom is there. Love like we've never seen before is in his presence. All right, we're going to have communion together. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up here. But before, before uh, we, we have communion, I would like every eye closed um, here and online, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment, to kind of get us ready for communion. Oh, thanks, Tori. If you are absolutely honest to God right now, it's just, it's just between you and God, God knows everything. Right now, you feel like you are the person that is flat down on the side of the street in the mud. You, you don't understand how God could love you or God could want you. And that is who you are right now. God wants to do something amazing for you in just the next few moments. If that is you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'm up in the balcony now. If that's you, just raise your hand. We're going to pray. God, God has something he wants to do right now. I see that hand over here. God bless you. Could we stand to our feet?
If you, if you raised your hand just now, I want you to just put both arms out in front of you like this. I'm going to pray for you right now. Right now, the Holy Spirit's coming. And he's turning you over. You've been in the mud. You've tasted the mud. You can only see mud in your future. And he's turning you over. And as he, as he clears your eyes, you see Jesus. And it's shocking to you because you expected anger or disapproval to be in his eyes. And his eyes are burning with fiery love. And he's smiling. And he's reaching his hand out. And he's saying, dance with me. And you're saying, Lord, but I did this and I did that and I, I failed you here and, and, and I used to dance with you, but I don't anymore. And you know all. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about any of that. I'm asking for this dance. Take my hand, my beloved. Jesus says it this way. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So if, if that is you, I want you to just pray something like this to Jesus right now. Lord, I hear your knock. I hear your invitation. God, I'm opening my door. Come in. Save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. I want to dance 